The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Ecclesia, would you help me thank Matt and the band for leading us this morning? It's always so good to be uh, out on the west side with all of you. Um, As we open the scriptures, let's go to God in prayer. Creator God, we're grateful that you have called us together in this uh, community of your people, people who are broken and flawed and just, Lord, seeking you. And we would ask, God, that knowing that we are so different and we're coming to you from so many different places and different experiences, with some of us feeling very connected to you, God, as always, and some of us feeling very far from you. Some of us trusting deeply in your power and your presence in our lives, and some of us wondering if you're real at all, that you would speak to us in ways that we could see, know, and understand individually and as a community, that we would leave here transformed people because we have had a genuine encounter with you, and that our lives would be a reflection of your grace, your patience with us, your beauty. Toward that end, God, I pray that you pour through me the gift of teaching. Let everything said here be because of you and from you and drawing and guiding us towards you for your glory and your glory alone forever and ever. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is uh, officially summer, and I hope your summer's off to a great start. At our house, it's been summer for a while. Actually, it was summer for a couple of weeks before summer actually got here. Um, our girls started binge-watching their favorite shows, or at least they pick a new show. And about half the summer is them with their mom watching a television show that I think is designed only to get me to leave the room. Like, last year, last summer, it was this, because re- they're all like these really like, cheesy, like hallmarky kind of shows. Last year, it was the show Wind Calls the Heart, and I watched that for about five minutes, and I was like, I'm out. Like, I can't deal with that. And so this year they picked um, Call the Midwife, right? And I was like, that's great. Watch Call the Midwife. We're not calling any midwives. We're not calling any, we're done. So just watch Call the Midwife. Because all it is, because I'm just sitting in the other room, is it's about 45 minutes to an hour every episode of some woman groaning. Like that's all I know that happens in that show. It's just like groaning about stuff. Uh, And so we've already been like on vacation. We went to Southern California. Uh, My youngest daughter is headed to camp this morning. So my wife and our oldest are taking them to camp. People ask me like, what are you doing for Father's Day today? And I'm like, this is it. Like you're seeing it. Like we're all in it together. This is all I'm doing. Like I'm gonna go home and play PlayStation for the rest of the afternoon as far as I can tell. Like I have no other plans. But that's just kind of the rhythm of our summer. But one thing that is special about our summers is that in the summer, we have time to do our favorite pastime as a family, which is to go to the movies. And we don't get to see a lot of movies. Like I've, when the Oscars come out and they're like, this movie was nominated for an Oscar and that movie was not, and like, I've not seen any of that. Like I heard there was one where a lady falls in love with a fish and I'm like, I'm not doing that movie. Like I'm not doing any movie like that. But I used to love going to the movies. Like when Rochelle and I were first married, uh, we lived in South Texas. And if you've ever lived in South Texas, there's one thing that's true about South Texas. There is nothing to do in South Texas. So every Friday, every Saturday, we would 
go see a movie. So if it's a movie that came out like in the late 90s, basically between 1997 and 1999, if it came out in that time, I probably saw it. And there were a lot of bad movies in the late 90s. Most of them starring Jennifer Lopez. She was big at the time. She never made a good movie. I saw all of them, I can tell you. Like, I'm an expert. And then we had children. And when you have little kids, uh, you know how many movies you go see? None. You don't see any movies. Because one, like, if you ever can afford a babysitter to come watch your kids, all you really want to do is go someplace and sleep. Or like, you want to eat and not have to feed someone else. So when they were little, we didn't go see very many movies. And I've always, always, always just had a disdain for like animated movies. Like I just don't pay for animated movies. I don't like kids movies. I didn't like kid movies when I was a kid. Like that's how much I don't like kid movies. And if you would have told me 20 years ago uh, that I would spend time going to see movies like Paddington 2, like that I would have paid money for Paddington 2, I would have slapped you. And now I have done that twice. I have seen that movie twice. But now the girls are getting a little bit older. Malia, our oldest, is 14, and our movie watching is a little bit closer in line. So we can't go see everything together uh, for lots of reasons. And like she's at that point where she just like wants to go and hang out with her friends to go to the movies. And so um, we don't always go together, but we have found something that we have in common, and we all like superhero movies. And recently, the girls have gotten really into the Marvel movies and like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And like the movies are entertaining, but it's just really way too much to keep in keep track with, like who's doing what and which character is this and what's happening in this movie and you got to see them all. And I'm like, I, I don't have time for all that. You give me the cliff notes and I'll go see it. And so we've always liked these superhero movies. And so that's the one thing that we can actually do together. And for the last couple of years, the girls have fooled their mom into taking us all to see Marvel movies as my birthday present when they just really wanted to see the movies themselves. Um, they are not stupid children. Uh, so it kind of works. And so we've seen all of them, and a couple of years ago, I started thinking about why is it that these movies gross so much? Like, why do people go, virtually everyone goes to see these movies? They make incredible, like Robert Downey Jr. can retire for like 55 people because of movies he's made from like one Marvel movie. They make so much money. And what I realized, uh, kind of like reading about it and finding out things, is like, people are really into these movies, and just about everybody, even outside of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, almost everybody has a favorite superhero. Some of you have a favorite superhero. You've probably chosen poorly about who that is uh, because some of you probably like Superman and Superman is like the worst of all the superheroes for lots of different reasons. Well, I'll explain to you later. Um, but everybody has liked superheroes for a long time. And the truth is that the more you think about it, they play a crucial and interesting part in our culture. So Susan Weir works for the History Channel, and this is what she says about superheroes. She says, superheroes are unique and a valuable part of American pop cultural history. The themes that are explored in superhero books, there are themes that are explored in superhero books that are as rich and deep as the works of great literature. And here's what she discovered, is that throughout time, throughout great literature, 
there has always been a need for heroes, for people who go above and beyond. And the reason that that's true is because you know what I know, that throughout all of time, that societies, populations, cultures, nations have been populated with ignoble people, people who don't care about character or value or virtue. And increasingly, maybe even in our culture right now, one of the things that you see over time is that oftentimes people who are virtuous people, um, people who lie, people um, who cheat, over and over through history, oftentimes those people seem to excel. And what we're seeing more and more in our culture is that the people who do that, not only are they doing it, that there are other people giving them excuse and space and reason to do it. And superheroes exist, heroes exist to remind us of what nobility looks like, what character and sacrifice what it looks like to be the kind of person who leverages all of their gifts and their resources for the good of another, for the common good, for, for people, what it looks like for people to not be greedy and self-possessed and self-concerned and egotistical and power-mad and craven. And when we think about the people, whoever it is for you, that is your hero, aren't those the reasons that they are your hero? Because they show us a better way of living and being in the world? Isn't that for you what makes them a hero? And so through all the works of great literature, there's risen a device that every hero goes on. It's called the hero's journey. Every person that you consider a hero, every person you consider admirable that you wanna emulate goes on this journey. And we we all go through it if we become the thing that God intends for us to be. And so um, I want to walk you through the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is as old as any great literature. You can go back and find it in uh, Homer in the Iliad and the Odyssey. Who remembers pretending to read the Iliad and the Odyssey in high school? What's the story of how a hero becomes a hero? Or or how a regular woman or a regular man becomes the thing that they were intended to be? And so as Chris explained to you out here last week, we're going to look at some movies this summer. And so I want to show you one of my favorite movies featuring the best superhero. This is Batman Begins. And Batman Begins tells the story of Bruce Wayne. Uh, Bruce Wayne, as a boy sees his parents murdered at the hands of a criminal named Joe Chill. And Joe Chill is sentenced, which is a terrible name, by the way. If you're writing a comic book, you're better than that. You can come up with something. Joe Chill goes to prison, and then when Bruce is a young man, Bruce has an opportunity to speak at Joe Chill's parole hearing. But he has another agenda. What Bruce wants to do, he's got a secret plan to shoot and kill Joe Chill, but he is beaten to the punch by a mob-hired hitman, and he doesn't end up saying anything at his parents, uh, at the parole hearing for Joe Chill. And then Bruce launches into his hero's journey with this conversation with his best friend from childhood, Rachel, who is the prophet 
of this story. Here it is. I understand why Judge Faden insisted on making the hearing public. Falcone paid him off to get chill out in the open. Maybe I should be thanking them. You don't mean that. What if I do, Rachel? My parents deserve justice. Well, you're not talking about justice. You're talking about revenge. Well, sometimes they're the same. No, they're never the same, Bruce. Justice is about harmony. Revenge is about you making yourself feel better. Which is why we have an impartial system. Oh, your system is broken. <laughs> Justice, look beyond your own pain, Bruce. This city is rotting. They talk about the Depression as if it's history, and it's not. Things are worse than ever down here. Falcone floods our streets with crime and drugs, preying on the desperate, creating new Joe chills every day. No, Falcone may not have killed your parents, Bruce. He's destroying everything that they stood for. You want to thank him for that? Here you go. We all know where to find him. But as long as he keeps the bad people rich and the good people scared, no one will touch him. Good people like your parents who will stand against injustice, they're gone. What chance does Gotham have when the good people do nothing? I'm not one of your good people, Rachel. What do you mean? All these years, I wanted to kill him. Now I can't. So the first step in the hero's journey is what's called a call to action. Like something happens in the life of the hero where everything has to change. Uh, other writers, storytellers also call this an inciting incident or an inciting event. Where, where something has happened in your life where nothing will ever be the same again because now you have to change. Um, maybe everything that your life was oriented around or everything that you believed it to be about. And some of you have had this experience, inciting incidents are like when you, uh, the big ones are like when you get married or when you have children, when someone important to you dies or you have a career change. Those times in life, maybe sometimes you choose them and oftentimes we don't, where we have to do things differently. A call to action. And so if you're here and at some point in your life, you've signed on the dotted line with Jesus, that you've said, I want to become a disciple of Jesus. I want to live my life in a certain way. I want it to be oriented a certain way. That you have received, in some ways, a call to action. That your life should be shaped by certain principles and a certain orientation, a certain kind of worship, and a certain kind of rejection of other things. But what frequently happens to us is that we, we jump in and we make a decision and we hear a call to action and we decide, you know what, I'm not really good with that. So, so maybe we know 
that there's a certain way that we're supposed to think about generosity or handle our finances. And we say, well, that sounds really good, but I want to do this. Because all of us on some level, at some part in our lives, we all suffer from the same disease, which is called, yeah, I know, but what about? And we'll say, we'll look at the scriptures and we'll be around good and godly, faithful men and women. And they say, well, a, a person, a business person who really wants to walk in the footsteps of Jesus does these kind of things and not these kind of things. And we tell ourselves, yeah, I know, but what about my other people, my competitors who do this and they do it that way. And if I don't do it that way too, then they're going to get ahead of me. Or we'll think about relationships and we'll know that this is the way that we're supposed to speak to one another and treat one another. This is the way we're supposed to treat people physically. And we'll say, yeah, I know, but what about if I do that, then I won't be able to get these other things that I want. Or we'll look around our world and we'll see people who are suffering and vulnerable. Those those categories that the Old Testament mentions to us over and over again, the widow, the foreigner, and the oppressed, the poor. And we'll say, yeah, yeah, I know, but what about if they don't do, and but what about if I do, and what, and we all have this case of, yeah, I know, but what about, and what that is essentially doing is a rejection of the call. And throughout literature, every hero has a choice to make. They can accept the call or reject the call. It's your choice to make. But Rachel asked the right question. Like, what are we supposed to do if the good people do nothing? So Bruce chooses to do what many of us choose to do to just reject the call. He finds himself on the other side of the world, uh, stealing from himself and lands in prison. And in prison, he's visited by a man named Henri Ducard. And Henri Ducard tells him that he works for a man named Raz Al Ghul. And Raz Al Ghul represents, is the head of an organization called the League of Shadows. And the League of Shadows exists solely to eradicate the world of crime. And he tells Bruce, that we want to train you, that you know how to fight six men and we're going to teach you how to engage 600. And in that, Bruce enters into the second step of the hero's journey, which is called initiation. And this is a picture of Bruce's initiation. You have learned to bury your guilt with anger. I will teach you to confront it and to face the truth. You know how to fight six men. We can teach you how to engage 600. You know how to disappear. We can teach you to become truly invisible. Invisible. Abhi! Ninja understands that invisibility is a matter of patience and agility. Always mind your surroundings. Ninjutsu employs explosive powders as weapons or distractions. Theatricality and deception are powerful agents. You must become more than just a man in the mind of your opponent. Who is he? He was a farmer, and he tried to take his neighbor's land and became a murderer. Now he is a prisoner. What will happen to him? Justice. Crime cannot be tolerated. Criminals thrive on the indulgence of society's understanding. 
Your parents' death was not your fault. It was your father's. footing for a killing stroke. Rub your chest. Your arms will take care of themselves. So what storytellers call initiation, the Christian community for 2,000 years has called a different word, and the word that we use is discipleship. Discipleship is the intentional work of becoming that which we are not. It's becoming a student. Disciple is the word for student. And here's the thing. When you read your Bible, it talks about being a Christian very little. As a matter of fact, Christians is not what followers of Jesus called themselves. It's what they were called. What followers of Jesus called themselves were disciples. Uh, so I know some of you have um, read my book, Unarmed Empire, and I tell the story in there of a guy I was in high school with named Stephen. Stephen was in ninth grade with my brother. And at my high school, you went to first period every day, and then we had this 15-minute period called homeroom. And at homeroom, they took attendance, and they did it all by alphabetical order. So Stephen was in homeroom with my brother. Stephen was extraordinarily funny. He was a bright guy, really sharp. His dad actually invented the Burger King milkshake. Um, but Stephen didn't care about school at all. So he would go to first period, he'd come to homeroom, they would take attendance, and then he would kind of uh, slip out of the back of the school through the smoking section. And yeah, I went to high school long enough ago that there was a smoking section. And then go. So my brother is three years older than me. Three years later, I'm in ninth grade. I go to homeroom, and who's there? Steven. But Steven kind of got his act together uh, that year and went on to 10th grade. We were in 10th grade together. But then he decided that he was just done with the whole school thing and just quit, just dropped out. I never really know what happened to Steven. But Steven did the same thing that you and I did. Steven spent four years in high school but he never became a student. And this is the spiritual danger that more of us face than we want to admit, that we have hung around a long time, but we never became a student. 
And when people talk about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, it means apprenticing yourself to do the things that Jesus did in the ways that he did it, to take on classic spiritual disciplines, prayer, solitude, silence. Because here's what few people will tell you, and I'll let you know because I love you. You cannot make yourself more spiritual. Some of you have tried, and it has been frustrating. You cannot make yourself more spiritual. But what you can do is create the environment in your life to become more like Jesus. So Dallas Willard says uh, that spiritual disciplines are what we can do by direct effort to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. What we do by direct effort to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. So uh, some of you are like me and you are extraordinarily impatient. I am an impatient person. So if you were to come to me and say, Sean, I'm impatient, but I know that patience is one of the fruit of the Spirit. This is how we demonstrate that we belong to God. I want to be a more patient person. I would tell you this. The next time you're in the grocery store and you're ready to leave, get in the longest line. The next time that you're driving on the freeway, get in the slowest lane. You have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Plan your life in such a way that you have time for interruption. And then you will look up in six months, a year, two years, five years, and you will be a more patient person. If you are a greedy person, you have to decide today, this is how much of my resources I am going to give away today. This is how much I'm going to give away every week every month. And you will find over the course of time that you are, a more pay, you are a more generous person. This is how it works. Intentional practices. There are ways to stay connected to God through prayer and solitude and silence. And you becoming who you were meant to be isn't just going to fall from the sky. You have to enter into a process of training. Dallas Willard calls the uh, the spiritual disciplines training for reigning. To take seriously what the Apostle Paul says, that those who follow Jesus will one day reign with him on high, that we will take seriously the idea that God wants to trust you with great responsibility. And are you now? the kind of person for whom God could trust with great responsibility. And if you aren't, how do you become the kind of person that God could trust with great responsibility? That we will reign with God on high. That like Adam and Eve in the garden, that we will be able to carry more responsibly that which God has given us governorship of. I like the way that G.K. Chesterton talks about this. He says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. Or C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, the greatest challenge the church faces, I mean, sorry, Dallas Willard, uh, church faces is to be authentic disciples of Christ. To be an authentic disciple of Christ Because you know what I know, that you can open the newspaper 
You can read it online. You can watch the news every day. And you will see people who are using Jesus as a fig leaf, not to be a disciple of Christ, but to further their own agenda. And discipleship puts us in a place where our lives are submitted to God's preferred future rather than our personal agenda. Well, Bruce goes through his training And he goes back to Gotham, entering into the third and final stage of the hero's journey, which is called the return. And Bruce has been gone for so long now that he's been declared dead. And so when he comes back to Gotham, he has to be actually declared risen from the dead. But he's not done yet with his journey because he's out there doing all of his Batman stuff. But there's a piece of it that's not yet complete. And he doesn't realize what it is until he has this last and final conversation with Rachel. Nice car. Should have seen another one. He's done something the police have never done. You can't take the law into your own hands. At least he's getting something done. Bruce, help me out here. Well, guy dresses up like a bat, clearly has issues. But he's put Falcone behind bars. And now the cops want to bring him in, so what does that tell you? They're jealous. Sir, the pool is for decoration, and your friends do not have swimming. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. It is not a question of money, you see. I'm buying this hotel and uh, setting some new rules about the pool area. I think the Batman deserves a medal. And a straitjacket to pin it on. So when I 
told my wife I was using that clip. She said, well, you know those women get in that pool, they don't have any clothes on. And so I watched that clip over and over and over and over again, and they do, so I don't need the emails about that. <laughs> so Rachel has something important to say that I don't want us to miss. Uh, it's what you do that defines you. And she reminds us of something that's really easy for us to forget because we live in a, a doing culture and an accomplishing culture. That who you are, who we are, is who we are at our core, underneath all of it. Because you don't have to live very long to know that it's easy to fool enough people to think that the things that you do or the things that you say are good and healthy and virtuous and whole. But it's who you are at your core underneath it all. And when you think about the women and men that you look to as virtuous, whole, heroic people, the people that you would like to emulate, isn't that what you love about them? Because there are other people in the world who've accomplished something similar or done something the same way. But you look at those people and you go, yeah, but this woman, this guy, like there's something about them that animates who they are, that comes from the core. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says things like the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Do you know what Jesus is saying? For as many excuses we make for other people and make for ourselves, we don't misspeak. We speak what's really inside. And who we are is what's inside. And maybe no one besides you knows who that is. But that person doesn't go away. They have to be transformed. And so what Rachel is saying is all of this becoming a hero, becoming a virtuous and noble person, that it's really about forming a certain kind of character, an inner, an inner life that animates everything that you do. And that's what makes you a hero. And crazily enough, there's a chapter in the book of Hebrews that's dedicated to women and men who have formed this kind of character. And oddly enough, what most of your Bible translators call this chapter in Hebrews 11 is they call it the heroes of the faith. And it talks about women and men who accomplish great things for God, but not only the things that they accomplish, it talks almost as much about all of the things that they suffered, the journey that they went on, the things that they had to overcome, and everything that they endured to become a hero. And then it blasts off and tells us about stories that if anyone's ever been to a VBS, knows about people like Abraham and David and Samson and on and on and on and on. And then in chapter 12, it has this incredible invitation for you and I to join this incredible cast of characters. And here's what Hebrews 12 says. It says, so since we stand surrounded by all those who have gone before, an enormous cloud of witnesses, let us drop every extra weight every sin that clings to us and slackens our pace and let us run with endurance the long race set before us. Now stay focused on Jesus who designed and perfected our faith. He endured the cross and ignored the shame of that death because he focused on the joy that was set before him and now he is seated beside God on the throne, a place of honor. And what the Hebrew writer is saying is that you can go on a journey to become a hero and like all of these people that we long for or want to emulate and admire, 
that, that we all share something in common, that we all live pretty predictable, mild-mannered lives, but we can be a hero, that you can be a hero, that you can go on a path with God to change the world around you, that it's already inside of you if you choose to go on the journey. And maybe this is why all of these superheroes have dual identities. Why Clark Kent is Superman and Bruce Wayne, Batman, and Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Is that the best parts about you are more than meets the eye. That underneath it all, that you have an incredible source of power to change the world around you. And maybe this is why the Apostle Paul says that our true identity, who you really are, is hid with Christ on high. One of my favorite spiritual disciplines is this one called secrecy. And secrecy is designed um, to cure us of our approval addiction and self-seeking and self-aggrandizement. And here's what uh, secrecy is, is that when you do something good in the world for other people that they can't know or acknowledge that you did, that you just do something that no one can ever know that you did. And what you find over time is that you become the kind of person who can do things for other people without feeling a need to have them know and thank you and write you a thank you note and give you approval for doing it. That's why Rochelle and I, if we've ever given you a gift, you've probably heard us say this, don't write a thank you note. Because this is where true life lays. In becoming the kind of noble and good person who unleashes virtue into the world for the good it is itself. And the Bible says that you can be that kind of person. And everyone else can think what they think about you and think that you're just an accountant or just a school teacher, just a lawyer, just a banker. But you know, and God knows, that you're a hero and that you can be more than just stay-at-home mom or an IT professional, that you're a hero. And who better to demonstrate this than Jesus Christ who comes into the world in this very plain ordinary rapper, a baby born in Bethlehem and raised in a nowhere place like Nazareth, but who is, in fact, the incognito king. And that's why Batman is better than Superman. <laughs> because Superman is just an alien. He was born on another planet. He comes here by a fluke of luck. Our sun gives him extraordinary strength. So what? Anyone born on that planet can do that. But Batman, Batman is just an ordinary guy who is deeply flawed, who uses all of his advantages and resources to make the world a better place. And I don't know about you, but I'm just an ordinary guy 
who was deeply flawed. And I just want to make the world a better place. Let me pray for you. God, would you give us the strength to step into the life that you have designed for us, a life designed for purpose and power, a life designed for beauty and grace, and be the women and men that you have created us to be, not for our own sake, but for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.